1: i'm jason kander and i'm Ravi gupta and this is majority 54 the podcast that helps americans who voted for progress convince those who didn't to join our majority ravi kind of a rough little stretch here for the bills
2: yeah rough stretch for the bills but i kind of i don't mind i have this rule that if the bills lose a game i don't watch the game after because then in my head what i say is Oh, I've gained three hours of my life back if they lose. So I kind of try to pair it with a positive. Be like, so oh, you I'm watch be them more after.
1: You don't watch them, during?
2: If it's if they lost the week before, I don't watch this oh, the game. Oh, so you at missed all, the so. you
1: missed the like last second because it, it was like a, it must have been. It's a little triggering, like Tom Brady kind of.
2: Yeah, you... yeah, we've had a lot of a lot of Patriots memories like because we lost the Patriots and then we lost the Tom Brady. So it just kind of brought back some really bad memories. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, anyway, my condolences, uh, <laughs> chiefs, however, just rolling. I mean, rolling.
2: yeah, yeah. you guys are peaking too early though, I think. Oh, that must so be. So we're, yep. we're going to, we're going to that adversity right now. And then we're gonna yeah. we're building that resilience so that when we do barely make the playoffs, we're gonna be like that Giants team or that Ravens team that won, you know, like it's one of those years where like anybody could win it.
1: I mean, I don't think you're going through resilience or adversity. I think you're you're building herd immunity right now. Um, yes. No, so. All right.
2: <laughs> we, no, no, we did have herd immunity, which is why we're one of the teams that haven't tested positive. I know, I know. Because we, we've a, got we already got our COVID out, you know?
1: It was a bank shot of a trash talk joke. All right. Yeah. Uh, that said, what's going on?
2: Well, yeah. Uh, one of the big revelations from this past week, which I think it's, you know, I guess everybody's just trying to get all their crazy stories out before the holiday. But there, one of the big stories to hit this week was the January 6th Commission, which we've talked about on this podcast, and kind of, I think, in a way, we downplayed it. You know, I think our take was this is important, but we didn't expect it to really change minds. But we felt like it was an important process to go through. One criticism of this commission has been that it wasn't going to lead to any new revelations. We kind of knew what we knew, but you know, at least this week, something new came out, which is Liz Cheney read aloud from some of the discovery they got from Mark Meadows before Mark Meadows stopped cooperating with the commission. And she read text messages that Meadows, who is then chief of staff at the White House, was receiving the day of January 6th. And Essentially, you have the entire top brass of hosts at Fox News texting Meadows, you know, their alarm over what was happening January 6th, calling on Trump to do more. And this seems kind of like a big story, Jason. Like, what do you make of all of this?
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on it. It's seen, I mean, it's clearly a big story. The question is, is it something that is in any way like an arrow you can put in your quiver for for persuading people? I think in the larger picture, maybe, because here's the thing, like there's a little stuff in here, like the fact that, you know, Hannity and Ingram and, you know, basically everybody at Fox News, plus apparently quite a few, you know, partisan lawmakers, Republican partisan lawmakers clearly on january 6th recognized how horrific this was and not just from like a public relations standpoint but we're like this is bad for the country and we're reacting the way the rest of us were and that is important uh in the micro way it's important i guess just to show like how hypocritical they are now to change their tune but it's hard to persuade people uh you know about laura ingram or about sean hannity i mean if they're watching them you know every every night like their, their opinion on them is going to be pretty baked in, but in the larger picture, to make the case about right-wing media and how completely interwoven it is with right-wing governing, so interwoven that they've completely changed their tune since then, and so have all the politicians. Like They've all rewritten yeah. history together, and I do think that that is an important thing for us to note, and potentially it should be part of the larger narrative, particularly by you know, politicians on the left, like, we should be calling this out.
2: Yeah, agreed. You know, what's amazing is, these are the people who were sowing misinformation in the aftermath of the election. You know, they were feeding these conspiracy theories. But when they were faced with the consequences of their own coverage, they freaked out. And they but they only freaked out for like a moment. And then they went back to covering for, you know, the election lies, but also they started a new revisionism of the very day that they were alarmed with. You know, like this is, you know, Fox News had this Tucker Carlson documentary that I've spent a lot of time covering, basically promoting baseless conspiracy theories about January 6th. Laura Ingram mocked uh, one of the Capitol police officers when he was testifying. Hannity, you know, I don't even need to go there. And then you have Fox News now, acting like this isn't, this story doesn't exist. You know, they don't, they're not covering this essentially at all. You know, I find this funny because these are the same people who criticized CNN for the Cuomo brothers' conflicts of interest and saying, you know, how come Chris Cuomo wasn't, uh, you know, like basically Chris Cuomo was silent on his brother's scandals throughout all of that. Uh, but they, they've taken a conflict of interest to a new level here. Because I I find this to be far more significant of an issue as much as I I criticize CNN about the Cuomo stuff too, but I find this to be far, far more serious than that.
1: Here's what gets me about it and the way I think people should explain why, why it matters in the, in the long run is that, I mean, it shouldn't be forgotten. These folks, they have a relationship where they can just text during a crisis, they can text the, the White House chief of staff and get an answer. Right now, why does that matter? It matters for the same reason that uh, I fought for ethics reform when I was a legislator in Jeff City, that what I realized was is that your constituency is the people you answer and the people you spend the most time around. It's why we need changes to, you know, our campaign finance system because you know at, at all levels politicians tend to be way more responsive to powerful or rich people because that's how the system is built so your constituents can be the people you technically represent or voted for you but they're not functionally those people if that's not the people you spend time around and that's the, not the people you're responsive to so these weren't these weren't text messages where they were trying to get information to do their job as quote unquote journalists uh, or broadcasters these were they were telling them what what to do. like for, They were giving them governing advice, which clearly they do on the regular. And the reason that that matters so much is because that really explains why the right wing governs the way they do is because that's their constituency. Their constituency are the people who are the opinion makers in right wing media.
2: Yeah, what's interesting to me is like, a lot of these people are afraid to text, because Trump texts, I guess, right? He has a phone, yeah, right? I'm, you would I'm call sure. him, text him. Like, even, you know, I, his son was one of the people texting Meadows, which, you know, implies that the son was afraid to tell his dad directly. Or You know, it's like an episode of succession, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, some people have said, and I don't know that this is true, that it implies that he doesn't have his dad's number. Um, no. Which I doubt, yeah, right? Yeah, like, dad, I mean, dad, I think yeah. I think it's, it's like he's not going to, like, it's the son saying, I know that my dad is wrong. But I'm not going to tell him because I'll fall out of favor with him, which which, by the way, like Trump's going to be the Republican nominee again, probably we should keep that in mind that during a national crisis, his advisors couldn't talk to him because they thought that he wouldn't listen to them anymore if they told him you should do something to keep the country from experiencing this terrorist event.
2: Well, this underscores to me why the process matters here. And, you know, people were talking about. You know the efforts to to hold Bannon in contempt and hold him accountable for not showing up and 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 cooperating with this. And now Meadows is going through the same process. The only reason why we have access to this information, and, and this was part of 10,000 plus pages of documents that Meadows handed over before he stopped cooperating. The only reason why we have is because he decided to cooperate for a brief moment in time. And so this cooperation matters. There's more for us to know about January 6th, clearly. you know, At the very least, we need to set the historical record straight um, at most we need to get to the bottom of if there's any either ethical or legal wrongdoing here and nobody really knows yet. Like we need to, we need to prosecute to the full extent of the law, any non-cooperation with this committee, because what they find out could be really important.
1: Where I want to leave it is what I keep, I know I've said this on here several times and I want to emphasize is that as many people have pointed out, just about every successful coup in history has been preceded by an unsuccessful coup attempt. And so if you don't take this seriously, you don't want to see where it's going to go.
2: Well, Jason, as you know, I just bought a house and I have to get a bed. Uh, Any ideas on what kind of mattress I should get for that bed?
1: I'm going to go with Helix. In fact, I can even tell you which mattress.
2: We both took the Helix sleep quiz, came out with the same mattress type.
1: That's right. The Midnight Luxe. Turns out we're both side sleepers.
2: Yeah. And everybody's unique and Helix knows that. So they have several different mattress models to choose from. They have soft, medium, firm mattresses, mattresses that are great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. And they even have the Helix Plus mattress for plus size sleepers
1: so if you're looking for a mattress you take the quiz you order the mattress that you're matched to and the mattress comes right to your door shipped for free you don't ever need to go to a mattress store again they were awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 and by gq and wired magazine just go to helix majority 54 take their two minute sleep quiz and they'll match you to a customized mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life they have a 10 year warranty and you get to try it out for a hundred nights risk-free they'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it helix is offering up to two hundred dollar off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com majority 54. That's helixsleep.com majority 54 for up to $200 off and two free pillows.
2: Well, I know with the holidays coming up, a lot of people can often feel really down. It's a tough time of year for a lot of people, even though it can also be a celebratory time of year. And I think it's a good time to think about potentially seeking therapy and counseling. And that's why we love BetterHelp because they make it easy and they'll match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you could connect in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient. You could start communicating in under 48 hours.
1: Now, it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. You send a message to your counselor, counselor anytime. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. I mean, this is, it's therapy. It just happens to happen over your phone. So BetterHelp is, is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. And it's more affordable than traditional offline
2: counseling and financial aid is available. We want you to start living a happier life today. Get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com M54. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's Better BetterHelp, better, dot com, slash, M-5-4. Other news, we have a person of the year, Jason, and it wasn't either of us, <laughs> uh, but it was Elon Musk, and a lot of people have opinions about this. I actually don't know where you're going to come down, so I'm really curious. What do you think? Deserving of the award? So I've been very critical
1: of Elon Musk, uh, mostly just on Twitter. And, you know, we talked about this, as you know, a couple of days ago, and you said you had a slightly different opinion. And then you, you encouraged me to, you sent me and encouraged me to actually read the time article about this. And I did. And I, now I don't know what I think. Uh, I'm just like, I'm like, I get it. He's an eccentric guy who may, who may like really do important things, but, but I don't know how to feel about all the important rules that he's breaking on the way there and the people he's probably hurting and I'm I'm very I'm now I'm now I just don't know what to think
2: part of it is the framing is like what is this award you know and so is it the is it the most ethical person right is it the most important person is it the most powerful person Is, is it most influential right so for me I'm thinking of it as most influential person on the planet, pretty much. Like that that's how I view this award. Not not best human. Yeah,
1: I don't have a problem and, with I I don't care who time picks, right? I just yeah like I it's just it's made me yeah, like Edie's just pointing out to us that, you know, Trump won it in twenty sixteen and like you can't really argue that Trump wasn't the person of that year, right? Like Yeah, a hundred percent. So hundred percent. I'm I'm fine with that like it didn't that didn't bother me i mean i i do appreciate i thought the arguments for people uh you know like the the office the capital police officers being named, i i thought that you know that was a good argument i i would have liked to have seen it go to them as well but it, to me it just made me stop and like okay how, how do i really feel about elon musk and yeah. i don't know i went into it feeling pretty one-dimensional about musk which is you know look, here's this like you know, basic billionaire guy who doesn't think he should have to pay any taxes and all that. And like, I do feel like it's a little more nuanced than that. I mean, I also think, I mean, he's got enormous problems with the way he treats people, the way he busts unions, the uh, clearly like work environment for women that that he's created, you know, that kind of thing. And at the same time, I think the, the thrust of the article is, well, this is a guy who is trying to get humanity to Mars and he just isn't being tethered to any of our ideas about about any of that and yeah i guess like if we get to mars okay but i i mean it's just i don't know how to feel about it like he's either he's either like Post weapon making, Tony Stark, or he's Lex Luthor, and I'm not sure which he is. Which I'm now well, doing to cinematic universes. But
2: so let me let me kind of give a, a case for why progressives should sort of like him a little bit more. I'm, I'm not a big believer in this. Like either he's like the biggest hero of all yeah, time yeah. or the There's biggest some villain, in right? The middle, I'm sure. And so, like you, you layered in a lot of really important context of, of some of his record. Here's some things I think about. Like, where was NASA before Elon Musk came along? Uh, Where was the electric car market before Elon Musk came along? Um, There's a really, really good biography. I think it was like 2013 it came out. And it basically is like this article that you read, except like in book form, walking through how he was able to get to the point where now he Tesla controls two thirds the electric vehicle market. Uh, They have a contract with NASA to um, get astronauts on the moon for the first time since 1972. By the way, those are two separate things, one guy, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And that's not to mention what he's just doing for, uh, for batteries, what he's trying to do with the Boring Company. You know, you can go down the list and say, this guy is the most influential entrepreneur on the planet. And what I find fascinating about him is that a lot of the things he's doing are, if he's successful, and you've talked about the means, like I obviously think he should be held accountable for the means he uses. Uh, the impact of him succeeding would be him innovating in areas we'd want innovation. We want innovation in the electric car market. We want innovation in space travel. And I know a lot of people look down on space travel, but you know, space travel also has to do with putting satellites into orbit, which can expand internet access for a lot of people who don't have it, for example. Like there's a lot there. Uh, And so this guy's revolutionized so many industries and he's not like Mark Zuckerberg who like created a website to to rate the hotness of girls in Harvard and kind of in many ways, in my opinion, stumbled upon his success and then acquired a bunch of companies. Elon Musk, you know, he some of these pieces he acquired, but he acquired them and turned them into from complete shit to absolutely stellar companies because of both his intellect and his courage to take his own capital and plow it back into these companies at, at, at times when they were like months away from being completely in the red. And so I find a lot in his story that is admirable. And I do share a lot of your concerns. I don't think he's above criticism the tax thing is fascinating obviously, you know, cuz he's claiming now he he just cashed out a bunch of stocks and I'm I'm curious to see how much he's going to pay on that.
1: Well, yeah, I guess that that kind of brings me to the way I in in the long run I think the way I feel about Musk is that he's focusing on him is kind of a distraction, right? Because like I guess part of my antipathy or whatever, like toward it, like my my uneasiness is that we've created a system where he exists in the way he exists, right? Like in a couple of ways. One, as a space nerd, like, I'm, mean, you know, I'm a guy who like my favorite thing to do when I visit DC is go to air and space. And like, I, I'm so into that stuff. I could give tours. The idea that we've had to contract out rides to the international space station or going to the moon, like to me, that is ridiculous, you know? It bothers me that SpaceX should have to exist as opposed to a guy who, you know, is as clearly as smart and visionary as him, hasn't been just convinced to come in and be, uh, you know, one of the top scientists and engineers and and innovators at NASA. Like, that's how we used to do it. And by the way, we were pretty successful. Like, we went to the moon in the 60s. Like, I mean, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, So that, I think, bothers me. And that that is a piece of what also bothers me that... Yeah, okay, he's got these opinions that I disagree with and he's very childish about it when it comes to taxes. Uh the way he just this morning as we record this, he, you know, demonstrated his complete inability to understand the Karen meme when replying to to uh, Elizabeth Warren, but I'll, you know, I'll give him a pass on that. He's apparently got, you know, what is it? Asperger's. Asperger's, yeah. Like, okay, like I'm not going to be too critical of a guy for his inability to pick up social cues. So what I'll focus on is the fact that we've created a system where billionaires are these, like, they're as powerful as, as 10 senators combined, at least, right? Yeah. And, and so that's on us, that that, w- yeah. that we have this level of inequality and that we're turning to him to do these things or that, that we had to turn to an entrepreneur to actually make electric vehicles uh, a viable market. So I think yeah. that's more what I take away from it.
2: Yeah, I, I find... Part of what I'm trying to wrap my head around is how much of this is new. Obviously, the scale of inequality is is of a magnitude that we haven't seen in a long, long time. And the power of billionaires seems to be, if not at its apex, the highest it's been since, you know, the turn of the century, probably. I think of like a good comparison in many ways, turn of the century. So like what what would have Edison been like uh, and some of these other guys, Carnegie Rockefeller if they had Twitter accounts, (laughs) you know? I of what part of what people react to is what you're saying is like his his level of engagement and the fact that he doesn't sound very polished and often is very juvenile on Twitter, but also very provocative and aggressive. Like he's in the middle of fighting with Elizabeth Warren, which is the Karen thing you, you alluded to. It's tough because these aren't the only two choices in the world, but if I had to choose between somebody as raw, as he is and somebody as phony as Mark Zuckerberg is, I'll take the raw any day of the week. And most CEOs are like these polished platitude machines who don't say anything interesting. And they're so, you know, it's like, it's like a LeBron James press conference after a basketball game or like Bill Belichick, you know, you can't get shit out of these people. But then, you know, you got Elon Musk with like poop emojis next to like market moving tweets. And you're like, what do I make of this, you know?
1: Yeah. And I guess, I guess what I, what I, in thinking it out loud, what I, what I want to make of it is, is that we just shouldn't be distracted by that because, yeah. you know, as somebody there's, cause there's also method uh, behind that madness. As somebody in the article at Tesla pointed out that he was saying, you know, Tesla spends no money on marketing because of the influence and the, and the reach of uh, Elon Musk's social media following. Like, okay, I can see the utility of that. And also far be it from me, a person who, you know, is part of the leadership of a, of a national veterans nonprofit and also happens to opine regularly about stuff that has nothing to do with that on Twitter. Right, And because I understand, we all understand that that's okay because my influence helps us, you know, further our mission. Right. Um, yeah. and that it happens completely separate from our mission, but like, it, it doesn't hurt it because of the influence I have as a result. So I get all that. And I guess what I'm settling on here is that we shouldn't let the fact that he, you know, says dumb stuff sometimes on Twitter distract us from the fact that like, We've created a system where a business person has to take us to to the stars and a business person has to create, uh, you know, the market for uh, electric vehicles when that's an important part of saving the
2: planet. So, yeah, well, I think yeah, I I guess to close this out, like he's kind of a Rorschach test, as most things are in our politics. And I think. Where I am, which is not a surprise to you or probably some of our listeners, is I'm like, I would say I'm a standard of deviation, more skeptical of the government's ability to do big things than most people. And it's not just because of funding. Right. I I just think of there are many problems with the way that we've built up government to where it is today. And I don't think this has always been the case. I would have been way more optimistic about government's ability. For instance, you talked about the 60s and 70s than we are now, and we don't have enough time to go into that. So part of me roots for him. I root for him to be the best human he can be and the best entrepreneur he could be. And and I, I obviously think he's, he's, he's more of one than the other, but I'm rooting for him because I... I look at government and government's a collection of Ted Cruz's and Josh Hollies as much as it's a collection of the, the people that we love. And so part of me might be getting cynical in my old age about government. You know, it's like because I, I think Democrats, we want to believe in government, but we also we don't love to 50 percent odd people who construct a government. You know, we don't trust them. Well, that, yeah.
1: that's the difference to me between government and politics, right? Like, yeah. I don't want politics to be in charge of the space program. I just want NASA to be in charge of the space program, yeah. and I want it to be able to operate independently like it once did, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I want it to no, be I funded you. because guys like Musk get taxed appropriately. I started taking Athletic Greens actually because we went to the Wonder Media Network studio, Ravi and I, and and I remember you saw they had a bunch of
2: Athletic Greens sitting there and you were like, I love Athletic Greens. And that actually got me into Athletic Greens. One delicious scoop of Athletic Greens gets you 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day off right. And this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all the things.
1: Tons of people take some kind of multivitamin, and it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. Athletic Greens uses the best of the best products based on the latest science with constant product iterations and third-party testing. Plus, it costs you less than $3 a day, cheaper than getting all the individual supplements yourself.
2: To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com majority. Again, that's athleticgreens.com majority to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance.
1: I know several people who are struggling under credit card debt, and it's like you can almost see the little cloud of debt right above their head. And that's why we are are so evangelical about Upstart. If you're carrying a credit balance month after month, it can feel like you're in a never-ending cycle of debt. And Upstart can help you make that final payment so that you can get ahead.
2: It's a fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan, and it's all online. So whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high-interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment. And Upstart knows you're more than just your credit score, and they're expanding access to affordable credit. And unlike other lenders, they consider your income and current employment to find you a smarter rate for your loan. So just with a five-minute online rate check, you could see your rate upfront for loans between $1,000 to $50,000.
1: Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com majority54. That's upstart.com majority54. Don't forget to use our url to let them know that we sent you loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and certain other information provided in your loan application go to upstart.com slash majority 54
2: well we've got you know yet another big story this week and i'm bringing this to the table not for what it is in isolation but what it represents so joe rogan the biggest podcast in the world i think or if it's not it's top three or four or five he had on show uh Another vaccine skeptic, I think, in a long series of vaccine skeptics that he's had on his show. And 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 to his credit, he's had non-skeptics on, but I, I'll i come around to why I, I think this is still a huge deal. This is a guy named Peter McAuliffe. And this guy spread a bunch of different, or at least said a bunch of things that, to my reading of the science, are very... So he said that uh, people under 50 don't need the vaccine. He says there's no evidence of asymptomatic spread. More pernicious though, he was pushing a theory that early non-vaccine treatments uh, or just treatments of COVID were being suppressed because of some grand conspiracy to promote fear, suffering, isolation, hospitalization basically to create some kind of like panic that people could profit off of or take advantage of in different ways. The reason why I mention this is this is a very prominent podcast. Uh, I would say it's probably, in my estimation, the most influential show that there is, like not just podcast, but show that's in existence right now. And this is a show that very mainstream people go on, Sanjay Gupta, writers, authors, people that you'd consider mainstream, actors, actresses. And this theory was posited on the show. And I, I did a search on this in, this morning. There's almost no specific pushback against this theory. It's, it, you have to, I had to work for about an hour to find anything that was credible that in any way critiques this theory. There were like throwaway lines here and there, people calling attention to it. But by and large, the effect of this interview is that a lot of people are sending it around saying, see? There's this conspiracy, well,
1: and that just scares me. Well, how did Rogan respond to what he said? Did he just okay? Like I didn't.
2: Yeah, basically, like no indication that he th- that he has an a uh, an adverse opinion. Okay. You know, yeah. he basically platform this guy, and that's the problem. I think. And and I'm seeing literally everywhere people in my life, but also searching this, that the effect of this interview has been, by and large, to spread this information with almost. No pushback. You know, there, there's pushbacks within certain echo chambers, but there, the some effect of this is that this stuff just spreads and there isn't an effective machinery to help stop it. I mean, what got
1: me about this guy's theory, by the way, is that like the thrust of his argument seems to be that this Johns Hopkins seminar that predicted something like coronavirus happening uh, demonstrates that it was prearranged and preplanned. And he's like, they just were off by several years. And it's like, wow, I have lots of questions for you. Like, if they prearranged and preplanned it, like, why were they off by several years? And also, it doesn't sound like what he's describing is a plan. It sounds like what he's describing was a warning. It was like a, a study that was like, because he was like, look, they even knew it was going to be a coronavirus. And it's like, well, yeah, because they were scientists and they were like, well, the way this would work, that would be really dangerous would probably be a coronavirus. <laughs> you know, I mean it's like Yeah. It's like all he's really pointing out is that we should have prepared better because there were people saying this could happen.
2: Yeah, I think like one of the reasons why I'm I'm fascinated by this is like I've spent the past few months like really trying to dig deep into like what are these concentric circles of media that people are consuming right now and what what's the effect of it all. And one of my big conclusions is that Fox News is is waning in its influence. They've gotten worse over time, but it's kind of a, a it's almost a static uh, entity in many ways. Whereas what what I'm paying attention to are are the entities in this disaggregated environment that are like dynamic and and kind of sucking up different. Subgroups within our population, and like leading to some kind of realignment of our politics, right? I'm, I'm that's what I'm on the lookout for, and I am absolutely convinced that there is like a a nexus of Rogan and a bunch of other people who that didn't start out as like Alex Jones fringe, but are getting closer and closer and closer to that. I mean, Rogan literally spends time with Alex Jones but are way more powerful than these other people in part because people are afraid to criticize him like uh, authors, actors, CEOs they they don't want to criticize Rogan because they they want to go on his show. I, I mean, um, look, I'll be honest,
1: like I have a book coming out in July and I want to get the message of the book about mental health to as many people as possible. I want to go on Rogan's show.
2: There you go. So I see this I I literally I'm like a pattern seeking person and some of the most critical people I see on the internet of everything won't say his name out loud. It's like, there's like a fear, like he's a mafia don. But I think that there's like a quiet realignment. I've talked about this before on the podcast and it involves like sort of the reframing masculinity and all that, that, you know, Rogan is a fellow traveler with the Ben Shapiro's of the world, the Alex Jones's of the world and stuff like that. And I think it's happening right in front of our eyes where there's just not an equivalent left wing or even centrist culture developing alongside it uh, that's new. And I'm a little worried about that.
1: Well, to your point about realignment, isn't he also a
2: guy who endorsed Bernie Sanders? I mean, so like... I don't know if he fully endorsed him, but he was kind of like... um, I think he's expressed some curiosity towards Bernie. But you may be right that it was a full-throated endorsement. I think he said he would have voted for him in the primary or something. Yeah, so
1: I mean, but, like it's yeah, it, it goes to your point about realignment. Is that yeah, like the typical left-right doesn't always apply. That it's more about like extreme fringes, um, yeah, and and not even fringes because fringe the fringe would indicate that they're on one end or the other. It's just yeah. extremes, and and it's yeah. people who feel disaffected. And Rogan, despite all his success, is a guy who feels disaffected by society. And so I guess maybe the answer to it is, is like, is it on, it's not our responsibility, it's his, he's got the platform, but what are we doing to communicate, you know, in a way that gets across to people like him, Yeah. whether they have a podcast yep. or not?
2: Yeah. What I've tried to do is engage on the marriage. I mean, I even do this with Shapiro, who I have infinitely less respect for than than Rogan is like, I try to treat people even... I don't think Rogan engages in bad faith, but even people who I suspect, like Shapiro, do. I try to take their arguments at face value whenever and try to dissect them. And with Rogan, I've done this on a, on a few occasions where, like for instance, he made a he made statements about natural immunity, and I did a whole video that basically was like, "Hey, this is I understand why you believe this, but then went through the science as to why I came to a different conclusion." That's kind of how I treat it. Is like I think it's a mistake to write off Rogan's audience or to write him off. Uh, But I also think it's a mistake that a lot of these people are making, which is to kind of bow down to the cult of him without engaging with him critically, Mm -hmm. because he's a he's a grown boy, like people can be critical with him. And I suspect, given his UFC background and and some of the people he has on his show, that he can handle people coming at him when they think he's wrong, you know, and that's what I want to see more of.
1: All right. We're coming toward the end of the year. This isn't like our end of the year episode, but we're coming toward the end of the year. So we figured there, there'd there be like three little categories of of end of the year things we do. And we wanted to start with, and we don't know what each other's answers are yet, but we wanted to start with uh, an overlooked or easily forgotten ridiculous moment from our politics from this year. So, Robbie, you go ahead.
2: Yeah. Mine is kind of a cheap one, but it's uh, the Ted Cruz Cancun moment. I was just thinking about Because the serious stuff we all remember, right? Mm -hmm. January 6th, Afghanistan, all this kind of stuff, some bad stuff that happened. The good stuff too, like the inauguration. But the Ted Cruz thing to me just encapsulates like so much with such a small anecdote. And predictably it kind of came and went, which I think also just is revealing about where we are.
1: What I remember so fondly about the Ted Cruz thing was was a couple of things. One, it was not long after uh, Biden took office. And I remember people looking at it and feeling like, oh my gosh, are we getting back to some sort of normal ish thing? Because this feels like a regular political scandal. Like, I mean, the fact that that Cruz went to Cancun, you know, during the storm and the outages in Texas, like was the kind of thing that during the Trump years, like just wouldn't have mattered at all. And all of a sudden, Sudden, and people were like oh my there was like this optimism around it like does this mean like regular dumb stuff matters combined with the fact that the reason it was a more typical political scandal is because Ted Cruz handled it so stupidly like i mean like he just he just got it wrong from start to finish and there were so many other politicians who at some point in there would have been like wait a minute i'm just going to stop doing this wrong um <laughs> and uh, and so i enjoyed that for me i was thinking about it like sometimes it's just little moments that we forget how insane they were. Like when we think about them, we're like, oh yeah, that was insane. The insurrection was insane. It remains insane, all that. But here's something that wasn't really in the news, but it was more in the zeitgeist, which is in that period between the election being called and even the electoral college, you know, being allowed to do what it was supposed to, you know, the Congress accepting the results of the electoral college, despite the coup attempt, that like two weeks, we genuinely were all asking ourselves, so is Trump going to leave? Like, and, and I feel like we've kind of forgotten that there was a moment where we were like, he may not leave. Like they may have to wrestle him out. Like like the Secret Service may toss the, the, the former president out of the White House. And that's like a thing that was like a very like almost happened. Uh, so that's a pretty ridiculous um, moment. Uh, all right. Resolution for the new year. Go ahead.
2: Uh, I have two. Um, one of them is to write a thousand words every day, which I was wow. good about for about half the year, and then I really, because of certain things I've been launching over the past six months, have really fallen off on that. And I find that so much of my both happiness and productivity is wrapped up in in that process of writing, and it also usually requires me to wake up a little earlier than I normally do, and all that. So, and I've and I have so many things I want to write this year, and then the other is to learn learn tennis uh yeah. which I try to pick one new thing to learn every year and uh and tennis is this year.
1: Uh I will probably have every year I have a few new year's resolutions I will have them by New Year's Eve uh but I I came up with one so far it's a parenting one which is that you know True is 8 now uh he'll turn 9 in September and what that means is he is especially over the last year really developing his own unique interests uh and skills and I feel like that's I I need to like mark this moment because up until now it has been me getting him interested in things. And so I'm very used to like, you know, he likes the sports I like now and he, you know, other stuff that I like. And so I, it's easy for me to be like including him in the stuff that I'm into, but what I really need to double down on, and I've been trying a little bit over the last few months, but now I want to really make it a, a focus is getting into his stuff. So like he's gotten really into the Rubik's Cube and Robot which I cannot do. I saw do.
2: that. I saw that on on Instagram. Yeah, like yeah.
1: I can't do the Rubik's Cube. He's tried to teach me, but I, I can't do it yet. His mom can. Uh, he's like he's like doing five by fives and like seven by sevens and like he's timing himself. And then he's gotten into uh robotics. Like he's which is another thing I don't have any capacity for. And he's like building stuff at home. He even built a machine that solves the Rubik's Cube. And like and so I just need.
2: Maybe a future Elon Musk yeah, be out there. Yeah,
1: maybe, maybe so. I, I, keep him off Twitter. <laughs> keep him off Twitter and, and have his mom keep cutting his hair. Um, but I, uh, I, so I need to try and like dive more into his stuff as opposed to always changing the subject to my stuff. So that's my, my new year's resolution, my parenting specific wow, new year's great. resolution. All right. Uh, that's a great You can go first on this because I have a little bit longer one. Your highlight of the For year. For the
2: highlight of the year? Yeah. Yeah. Mine, mine are kind of two things paired together, which are kind of the same thing, which one was learning surfing, which I oh, yeah. got really good at surfing this year, relative to the amount of time, you know, like a year, uh, but also just bought a house in Costa Rica. So, Congratulations. so I could do more surfing. So those two together, I think were my big highlights of the year.
1: So for mine, I'm going to talk about this thing that I have not talked about in detail at all on the show. Um, but I've hinted at a few times and, uh, I've talked a bit on the podcast about what I was trying to do to get some people out of Afghanistan, um, in the last few months. Uh, And I haven't really said what happened. Um, So I'm going to talk about it a little in a second. If people want to hear more about this, and I hope they do, on the uh, December 30th episode uh, of Majority 54, we will have an interview with Sean Vandiver, who is one of the leaders of the Afghan EVAC coalition, and people can learn a lot more about this. Um, And then also I I write about it in my book a little bit that comes out in July. So there's two pieces of content that I'll be putting out that if people like this, they want to, they need to get. And Ravi, you know this story, but I'll tell the pretty short version of it, but that in August, I and a few of my buddies were trying to get some people out of Afghanistan. I, in my case, I was trying to get a family of 12 out that was my translator's family. I'm fortunate in that my translator uh, is, is not in Afghanistan, that um, he's in the United States, but his family was still there and I promised him I would, I would try to get them out. Within that family is several people who, who did assist US forces as well and uh and so i started working very closely with his cousin who was the head of the family there um a guy in his 30s named raheem and so raheem and i were on the phone all the time in, in august and and i was i got deeply enmeshed in the whole thing and was like coordinating through people with the marines on the ground and and we got very close to getting that family and, and a few others uh, battle buddies of mine um we were all trying to get them out together and then the bomb went off and uh thankfully our people were not hurt but they were there and uh and so then it seemed hopeless because then the airport and Kabul shut down, and the u s military flew out um But then, probably against my better judgment, I committed to Raheem and his family that I would find a way to get them out, and my buddies did the same, and you cut to uh i don't know a week later. We were living on Kabul time, trying to get them safely out of out of Kabul, get them up north. And at this point, now we had collected seventy five different families that were all, you know, directly connected to American service members, and we had this big coalition working together of American service members, and and I was kind of one of the de facto leaders of it, or the leader of it, I guess. And we ended up putting together what we called this thing, Operation Bella, and we put. Good name yeah yeah um and we put um all of these like close to 400 people uh secretly moved them into a uh into a spot in mazari sharif i can't get into too many of the details raised millions of dollars and ended up uh, right under the taliban's nose flying these people out of afghanistan and um you know it's amazing yeah so like when that Watching flight radar when that plane crossed out of Afghan airspace, I mean, that after weeks of not sleeping. Raheem said to me at the time, like as the plane was taxiing, he called me and he said, uh, "This was not possible, but you and your friends are the real Mission Impossible team, and you've you've saved all of us." And uh, and there's a lot more to the story, and it was pretty wild. Has this not been written about
2: anywhere yet?
1: No, like I haven't. So interesting. This is the only time I've talked about it at all publicly. Wow. Um, and then after that, we started this thing, Afghan Rescue Project, and uh, it's part of the Afghan Evac Coalition, and we've gotten over a thousand people out, and. uh so that was the highlight of, of my year. But in many ways, it's also the most challenging part because there's still a lot of people there who need to be out, who are not out, who I'm communicating with and others are. And uh, so there's a lot of work left to do. But, but getting wow, that man. first flight out was definitely the highlight for me.
2: That's amazing. So, it's
1: if amazing. people want you to hear more a, about that, they should, you should always
2: go first for these things because it's like, no, I, was, I thought second was better. Because it's yeah, like, yeah. It, do you want to talk about <laughs> surfing after
1: yeah. I talk about that? Like, no,
2: it's true, it's true. <laughs> that's why yeah. I went
1: second, man. Um, for, um, for grabbing ore, I mean feel free if you have one. I was just going to use it to say, I hope people will listen uh, in a couple weeks to our episode. Well, every episode we have been a couple weeks to our episode with Sean, because I want people to know more about this because this issue needs to stay in the news so that we can continue to make progress on it.
2: Yeah. And I'll, I'll just plug uh, end of year uh, Second Chance Studios. This is a nonprofit that we've launched here in New York to help formerly incarcerated people get jobs in media. And I, I just went and to our end of year event and and met a bunch of the fellows who are people coming out of the system and just underscored how hard it is to come out of the prison system and become employed in this country. And they're doing a really amazing thing. So you go to secondchancestudios.org and they're raising money to, to launch a new fellowship. And I can't speak highly enough of the work they do.
1: Hey, so for next week's episode, by the way, we are going to be uh, speaking to two of our listeners. We, we like, we did this pre Thanksgiving and, and we really like how it worked out. One, Meg, you'll remember, uh, was one of the people we talked to, uh, before she went to Thanksgiving with her family. And she's going to come on with her mom and talk to us about how the coaching we gave her went and how her Thanksgiving, uh, went. And then also, uh, we're going to talk to a guy named Ethan, who is a business owner who has told us that like he listens to the show, but he's so disaffected. That he's not sure whether he's going to vote. Uh, so we found out about both these people through the voicemail, which is to say, you can leave us a voicemail if you want to be somebody who comes on the show and gets coaching about how to deal with your family or, or anything else. 508 687 2589 five zero eight six eight seven two five eight nine. You can also use that just to ask us a question that we can answer in the air. As always I'm at Jason Kander on Instagram and Twitter. Ravi is at Ravi M Gupta on Twitter and Instagram. Our show is at majority54 on Twitter. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to you use yours today.
2: Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch and Edie Allard, and theme music is provided by Kemet Coleman. And special thanks to Diana Kander.
1: One last thing, everybody. My wife, Diana, has a new podcast here on Wonder Media Network called The Growth League, and it's launching on January 3rd. Uh, if you subscribe to her newsletter, which you can do at dianacandor.com, you'll get some special early content, uh, and we're going to put a link to that in the show notes, but I'm going to play the trailer for you right now so that you hear this and get excited. Here's the trailer.
0: I've read a lot of business and leadership books, and almost all of them are written by men and are filled with quotes by other men. And I just didn't always connect with what they were saying. Surely I thought there must be women in the corporate world that have something to say about these topics. Young leaders who have climbed the corporate ladder and could help the rest of us do it without all the scrapes and bruises. That's why I decided to start The Growth League, a podcast where I sit down with extraordinary women who hold executive-level positions at some of the most influential companies in the world like Google, Aon, Square, Brookfield, and many more to find out their tools and mental models for success. I can still be kind and firm and fair, right? I always say, like, please don't mistake my kindness for weakness. It's my superpower. I was outed at work. I realized in that moment That I had all the power, and that if I reacted confidently and calmly, everyone else would follow my lead, and they did. Hard work's important. Advocating for yourself is more important. No one is going to promote you or give you a raise unless you ask for it. I'm your host, Diana Kander. I'm a Midwestern mom of two, a New York Times bestselling author, and a keynote speaker. And like you, I'm interested in the intersection of personal and professional growth. I believe that how you do anything is how you do everything. So whether you're trying to get better at your presentation skills, get that next promotion, or even do your first pull-up, each episode is going to give you a new rule for growth that's going to supercharge your efforts. Join me every Monday morning to hear conversations with remarkable women leaders and get in a growth headspace for the whole week. The Growth League premieres on Monday, January 3rd, so if you're thinking about any kind of personal or professional growth to kick off the new year, make sure that you're subscribed to the Growth League wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hi listeners, it's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders, Zachary Carabell and Executive Director, Emma Lucas.